0: you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and just turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, um, many of the passages tonight will be on the screen, um, but there are Bibles in front of you. If you grab one of the black hardback Bibles, that's the version I'm reading from, and in just a second I'll let you know what page that is. That is page 976, somewhere around in there, Ephesians chapter 2, 976. If you're a guest, my name is Jonathan. I serve as one of the pastors here at New Hope, and I'm so grateful that you have chosen to worship with us. Um, Many of you are here uh, because you are here, potentially a part of a special occasion of we're having uh, two that are coming and being baptized tonight, which we're really excited about that. I know some of the kids, when they came in, they're like, ooh, there's a pool outside. Are we swimming? And the answer is no. No. Um, But anyways, and so excited about baptism, and tonight's actually been kind of even a unique night, because it's also the second Sunday of the month, and if you are uh, a regular member or attendee, you know the second Sunday of the month that we take the Lord's Supper together. And so tonight, we have the unique uh, ability and encounter to where we see both of the two ordinances that um, Christ left behind for us to participate in as Christians We're able to see both of those take place tonight. And so let me just do a quick overview. We're going to spend the majority of the time talking about baptism in the message tonight. And, or what is baptism? We want to answer some of those questions. What do we believe about baptism? And then we're going to look at the Lord's Supper or communion. Baptism is unique from the Lord's Supper because it is usually or it happens only once in a believer's life after their conversion, whereas the Lord's Supper happens on a regular basis. And so one of them is a one encounter in a believer's life, and the other is an ongoing thing in a believer's life. And so tonight, I want to talk about what is baptism. And I want to look at five observations. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the message that's a little bit unique and different. The majority of the times when I preach, I have one passage of Scripture, and we just kind of unpack that. Um, This is going to be more of a topical, where we're going to look at multiple passages of Scripture, because we're asking the question what does Scripture say about baptism? And so we're not going to look just in one location. We're going to look in multiple locations, and the majority of those passages that we'll refer to will be on the screen. Before I begin, let me just kind of give you a a plan for today. I'm going to preach. We're going to talk about baptism. Then Pastor Andy's going to come up, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper. Then after that, uh, we're going to have two that are being baptized come and give their stories, come and give what we call testimonies. They're going to tell us about Um, why they're being baptized and why it is important. And then we'll do some kind of ending of service announcements. Then we will give you parents about five minutes to go get your kids. We want your kids to be able to see this and be a part. So there will be a little bit of a break where you can go grab kids and then we'll go outside where we'll have baptism and then we're just going to fellowship. We're grilling out. Some people are cooking now and some of you brought food and we'll just hang out and fellowship and enjoy the beautiful day that we have together. Okay? If you're with me in Ephesians chapter 2, would you simply just say, Amen. Amen. We'll get to Ephesians chapter 2 in just a second, but let me begin. There are five observations tonight. There's not a handout, um, but if you want to take notes, there are five observations of what we believe here at New Hope that the Scriptures teach about baptism, practical observations. The first one is this, that baptism does not save. Baptism does not save. Now, this is inside language a little bit. If if you're not familiar with Christianity, what do we mean by save? We recognize that as Christians, we believe that Scripture teaches that God created us in right relationship with Him. But He gave us free will, and in that free will, we chose not to be obedient to God, but and chose to worship ourselves, chose to do what we wanted, and Scripture calls that sin, disobedience. And because of sin, because of our sin, and because of God's holiness, he said that if you disobey me, that death will come into your life. And this is what we need saving from. We recognize that physical death came into creation as well as spiritual death. We'll see that in a second Ephesians two. So when we say salvation, we understand that we need salvation both spiritually and physically. And the Christians in the gospel and the scriptures teach that through the person of Jesus that through His sacrifice, that when we repent of sin, turn to Him for salvation, He gives us spiritual life and physical, eternal life. And so when we talk about salvation, that is what we mean. Now, to observation number one. Baptism does not save. Baptism does not save. If baptism saves... Then that means baptism is something that you and I do in order to earn salvation. But I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 in in complete now. Only verses 8 through 10 will be on the screen. So you need to look at verses 1 through 7 in a Bible or on your phone or person sitting next to you. But this tells the story completely. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what I just talked about, that because of sin. The scripture says we are dead, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verses 1-3 through give a very good description of what we need saving from. That we are dead because of our sins, that we are living in that deadness, that we are living in that spiritual deadness, and because we are in our spiritual deadness, we are children of wrath. We are under the wrath of God. Now, I know it's not popular in our culture today, because we want to think about God as a loving God, and He is a loving God, but He's also a just God. And what it means to be just is He cannot just ignore sin. It would not be just for a judge to look at a guilty party, a murderer or whoever, someone who's guilty of breaking the law and simply go, no big deal, ignore it, go on with your life, no problem. That's not justice, right? And so we understand that if God's a just God, He cannot ignore sin. That sin has to be dealt with. And so yes, that sin gets dealt with in His God's judgment and His wrath. But the good news is, is that we're not That's not our only option. But, before Christ, verses 1-3 through says, we are dead in our trespasses and sin; that we are dead and, and children under the wrath of God. But verse 4, but God. There's many times in Scripture where the writers will give this grim situation, like we just read, and say, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even... When we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This doesn't even talk about baptism, so why are we even bringing it up? Why? Because this passage clearly communicates, in summary, what many other passages do. It communicates that you and I are saved due to the rich mercy, love, and grace of God, not anything you or I can do. This is in contradiction to our Catholic brothers and sisters. This is in contradiction to, our, to others within the Christian faith who apply works to salvation or those outside of the Christian faith who say that I have to do a certain amount of good deeds in order to, uh, in order to uh, earn salvation. It's a common conversation that I have for those who aren't Christians who believe that in order to be made right with God, they got to do more good deeds than they do bad deeds. My question is simply, how do you know if you've done enough good deeds? How do do you know? But not only that, if we can go, I can do something to earn my salvation, if I can do something to be be right with God, then we minimize our sin and we minimize and say, it's really our sin is no big deal because I can fix it. But it's only when we recognize that our sin is such a big deal that we sinned against a holy God and our sin really is such a big deal that you and I can do nothing To earn it. Therefore, we depend greatly and completely on the mercy, love, and grace of God, which is what Ephesians 2 says to be brought from death to life. We depend upon Him. Therefore, when we talk about baptism, because baptism is a big deal, baptism is a command by God, baptism is something that we are to do. It's not just a suggestion. However, it is not something we do in order to earn salvation but it is in an outward confession of an inward salvation that we have already have in Christ Jesus. Romans eleven six 6 says this, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Meaning if it's grace plus something for salvation, then it's no longer grace at all. Does that make sense? If it's for it to be grace, it has to be grace by itself. Otherwise, it's grace plus my good deeds. Therefore, my good deeds was the deciding factor in salvation, which that is not what we believe. And this is good news. Because once again, if it was dependent upon me, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to make a wreck of my life when it's left up to me. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14-17, through 17, Paul writes this, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that they were baptized in my name. And he kind of gives this parenthetical statement because he has a bad memory apparently. And he says, sometimes, he says, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. He says this in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. What's, what's he saying? That Christ ultimately did not send me to baptize you, he sent me to preach the gospel to you because that's of supreme importance. And if, he, if baptism was necessary for salvation, for him to say what he just said, he'd basically be saying, I'm really glad that none of you got saved or that none of you got saved through me. Because he's saying if, if salvation was dependent upon baptism and Paul's saying, I'm grateful that I didn't baptize you, he's saying, I'm grateful that none of you were saved. But that's not what he's saying. But it's in fact he is saying that it is through the preaching of the gospel and through grace that we are saved. 1st Peter chapter 3 verse 21 sounds contradictory to what I've been saying. It says this baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Uh-oh. First Peter 3 verse 21 says that baptism saves. Did you did you know that also your scripture says, the Bible says in Psalms 14 that there is no god. Did you know that 1st Corinthians chapter 15 that says that Christ has not been raised from the dead? So what do we do with those verses? Here's the simple answer. Is you've got to read those verses in context. The Bible, this is going to sound, just listen to it. The Bible does not always mean what it says. Meaning, if you just take one part and you read it, like there is no God, but you don't read it in context to find out the greater meaning, you're missing what it's saying. So, Psalms 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart that there is no God. Well, that changes the meaning, right? If we understand the context. First Corinthians chapter 15. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He's actually arguing that Christ has been raised by the dead by doing kind of an argument back and forth. So I give that to say, all right, well, let's look at 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Is this also one of those things in context we understand when he says this, that baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you? Look at the very next phrase. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He's saying baptism now saves you, not through the washing of dirt of your body. He's saying not the physical baptism of outward, but the baptism of inward, the washing of forgiveness and the washing of regeneration is what saves. Do you see what he says? So he's using the language of baptism for illustration but he's making it clear. Not the physical baptism of dirt where we get in a physical body or water and we come up and we're clean. That doesn't save us. But the inward baptism that gives us a clean and good conscience before God. So baptism does not save us. Truth number two or observation number two. Baptism, if it doesn't save us, then what's the purpose? It symbolizes Union with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a symbol. It is a picture of cleansing. If um, In the Old Testament, we see baptism. We see Christ being baptized. We see it being a command. And so it's one of the reasons we continue on baptism. But baptism is something we see in the Old Testament as well. It's a little bit different. Um, archaeologists have found, when you study some of the old cities, old Jewish cities and around the temples, you can see pictures of a bunch of baptisms that surrounded the temple. And what would happen is, before you would go into the holy places of worship, you had to be baptized every single time. You had to take a bath. Why? Because you had all these rituals that gave a picture of cleansing before God in order to come into His presence. Why? So baptism in the Old Testament is a picture of cleansing so that we can come into the presence of God. So when Jesus is baptized, and he tells us to be baptized, and only once are we baptized, what's the statement he's making? Unlike in the Old Testament, you had to be baptized every single time before you came into worship as a representation of cleansing because you got clean, and you got dirty again. You got clean, you you got dirty again. You got clean, and you got dirty again. But in the New Testament, baptism is only once because it's a statement and a picture that through the perfect sacrifice of Christ, that then are we perfectly cleaned and never to be dirty again. So we get baptized once, and it's a picture of our union with Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, spells this out. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, he's talking about spiritual baptism primarily, all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him in baptism, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul's making it clear here in Romans chapter 6 that a picture of baptism when someone goes into the waters and back up, not only is it a picture of cleansing, it's not only a picture that we are spiritually cleansed, but it's also a picture of how we are spiritually cleansed. And how we are spiritually cleansed is through the death of Jesus and through the resurrection of Jesus. It is through His act on the cross where He died and then three days later where He was resurrected, it is there and there only that victory has been won so that through our baptism, what we're saying is we've been buried with Christ in His death and raised to walk in newness of life. It's a symbolism of our union with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a symbolism very similar to a wedding ring. I have this wedding ring. What does this wedding ring symbolize? It symbolizes that I am married. Now, let's talk about this wedding ring. This wedding ring does not make me married. I can put on this ring even if I wasn't married. Now, hopefully none of you are wearing a wedding ring faking it, right? Hopefully that's not any good because surely you don't want all the wonderful prospects out there to think that you're taken. So surely you're not doing that. You wouldn't wouldn't wear the symbol if you don't have what the symbol represents. But also, I am married, therefore I wear a wedding ring, but if I were to take it off, like I often do, if I'm playing basketball or something else, I'll take the ring off. that doesn't make me unmarried. Why? Because my marriage is not dependent upon the symbol. In the same way, going back to truth number one a little bit, in the same way baptism does not make it, it, it does not cause our salvation to be dependent upon it, but it's simply a symbol to it. We have a perfect example of a thief on the cross. When Christ was being crucified, he says to one of the thieves, when the thief turned to Christ for forgiveness, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He's saying, today you will be saved. Yet he was never baptized. Baptism is an important thing, yet it is still just a symbol. It does not save. It was around the 3rd and 4th century where we see infant baptism come into church history. And infant baptism came into church history It began about 300 years after Christ because there was a doctrine within the church that said baptism saves. And because infant mortality was so great that out of fear of their children dying and not going to heaven, they went ahead and started baptizing infants because they believed the baptism is what actually saves. This is how infant baptism came into church history. Through the doctrine that baptism saves. So you got to hear me clearly say that Scripture does not teach that baptism saves but it is a symbol to what does save, and that's the grace of Jesus Christ. Observation number three. Baptism is for believers. Baptism is for believers. Now, this is directly into what I just started talking about in infant baptism. I understand that the majority of the church around the globe, and the majority of even in church history, would argue that Scripture teaches infant baptism. And we don't believe that Scripture teaches infant baptism. Now, I go to a Presbyterian seminary, and and I love my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. I lock arms with my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. They believe the Gospel the same as us. I love them. I serve with them. I'm learning from them. But I respectfully disagree on this point, that baptism is for believers. Now, I understand the arguments for infant baptism, and they even theologically can make sense, But there's just not a clear example in Scripture. So let's look at Acts for a little bit. Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 41. This is the first time that Peter begins to get up and preach on the day of Pentecost. And at the end of his sermon, people were convicted, and verse 40 says, And with many words, he, talking about Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized... And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Just in a few verses before, they asked the question, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized. We see that those who profess Jesus are baptized. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, who was preaching, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts chapter 18, verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism is always an outward symbol and confession and profession of what has already happened on the inside. There's not one example in the New Testament of anything otherwise. So, so you need to hear me. That we now understand that this is uh, a tertiary doctrine, which is a fancy word for category three. Category one doctrine is most important that Jesus is the only way for salvation, that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord. That is a non-negotiable. Secondary are those things that are still really important, but we, we can have room to disagree on. Tertiary are things that we're still part of our beliefs, but we can disagree on. So I recognize that there are some of you in here that disagree with me, based off church history and based off your tradition, and I understand that. But you got to understand this, is that for me, is that I understand that this is God's Word. And I'm simply going to be say what God's Word says, and I'm not going to say anything that God's Word doesn't say. That I have been commissioned to preach God's Word and speak God's Word, and this is just my conviction, and this is our conviction here at New Hope, that baptism is for believers. That you must be married before you put on the wedding ring. In the same way, I want you all to get this. In the same way you all just laughed at me when I made a joke about you being Or having a wedding ring, but not being married? In the same way, respectfully, that's how I see infant baptism. Or that's how I see baptism before your believer. It's a profession of an inward salvation. But how can you confess that if you have first not had it? You understand? And this is just where now we stand. Now once again, this is a tertiary thing. Meaning, this is where we stand at New Hope. And this is where I stand as a pastor, because this is what I believe God's Word says. But this is not anything that if you and I disagree on, that should ever affect our relationship or our ability to serve alongside together in the church. Does that make sense? So we can disagree and we can debate about it, but we're going to smile and continue to drink our cup of coffee and enjoy our meal together. Does that make sense? We're not breaking relationship over this disagreement. However, this is where we convictionally stand and we believe this is where God's Word stands. So baptism is for believers. Observation number four. Baptism is for all believers. Baptism is not only for believers. You've got to be a believer before you're baptized. But baptism is for all believers. This is just bringing it into the reality that baptism is not a suggestion. Baptism is a command. Acts 2.38, I just referenced it a minute ago. And Peter said to them when they asked the question, what must I do to be saved? He says, repent... And be baptized. That is a command. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So not only do we believe that baptism is for believers, but we believe that baptism is for all believers. Meaning, and this is, this, is going to, this is going to touch down, I know, in this room with us because of conversations I've had with many of you, that we believe that if you were baptized prior to your faith in Jesus, then we believe that you need to be baptized again. Okay? We believe that baptism should always come after your conversion and it should be for all believers after their conversion. I have many conversations with many of you who grew up in traditions of infant baptism or who were baptized in a non-gospel center type faith and you ask the question, now that I've come to know Christ, even though I was baptized then, do I get baptized again? And my answer is simply yes. Why? Because what you were baptized into before may not have been the Gospel. There are moments where we see in Acts where some who were just baptized into um, the message of John the Baptist. And Paul and Peter would come along and baptize them again. And we see a picture of baptism into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is for all believers. And my challenge for you today is that if for whatever reason, That if you have not been baptized after your conversion, would you hear God's word command you? Would you follow Christ's example? And would you be obedient and be baptized? I recognize, and I want to be generous here, I want to be gracious here. I recognize that for many of you in this room, to be baptized now as an adult when you're baptized as a child may mean offending your family greatly. I recognize that. And I recognize that I have no idea what that's like because I don't have that pressure for my family. I recognize that. And so I'm not saying this truth without grace. I'm trying to show as much grace in my belief on this and what God's Word says about this. And so I recognize that that's not an easy decision. But I also lovingly tell you that Christ is worth being obedient to. He's worth it. He's worth it. Even at great cost. This is one of the reasons we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world and we're praying for Sudan this week because they surrender to Christ at great cost. It may cost them their lives. Observation number five and we're bringing this to a close. Fifth observation. Baptism signifies entrance into a new family baptism signifies an entrance into a new family. Not that you've lost your earthly family, but you're brought into a new family. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12-13. through 13, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He's saying that baptism brought us into a family where we are one. Acts 2, we've come back to Acts 2 again. Let me read verses 40 through 42. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation, so that those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Then verse 42, and they, those who were baptized, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. There is not one time in Scripture where we see a baptized believer not connected to a body of Christ. There are no such thing in the New Testament as isolated believers. We were never intended to live isolated Christian lives, but we were always intended to live within a community. And so baptism is a representation of you stepping into a new family That as Christians, we are part of a family. We are part of an eternal family. That we are not on our own. That we, in our Western culture, I talked about this earlier, that we often live isolated type lives. It's all about me. Nobody tell me anything. All those things. And if we're not careful, we've brought that philosophy into the church and we think, my Christianity is all about me. And praise be to God that your salvation is only yours in the sense that I can't save you. My belief can't save you. So yes, that's between you and Christ but you are adopted into a family. You're never intended to live out the Christian life on your own. I'm so grateful for the pastors out there that you can listen to on podcast. I do it every single week. I learn from those pastors. I love listening to other worship music. I love all of the technology because we can see all those things. But that is not church. Those are gifts. Praise be to God. But you and I need one another. This church needs you, and you need this church, or a church. And so let me encourage you
1: that baptism
0: brings us and shows that we are coming into a family. Three application points for tonight, and then I'll be done. First is this. Would you reflect on what has been said? If you're in here today, and you may be here for whatever reasons, you came with a friend, or you came to see someone being baptized, or you just tried to get out of the heat, I don't know, would you recognize today, would you reflect on what's being said, and if you do not know Jesus, would you reflect on the reality that you are in need of a Savior? Pastor, I'm not in need of saving. I understand that. I believe that at one point too. But God has a way in His infiniteness and in His power and His strength to show us our infallibility at times through sickness, Through brokenness, through just the suffering in the world around us, He makes it very clear that we are not in control of everything. Therefore, we are not God. Therefore, we cannot save ourselves. And that Christ, in His love for us, brings us to a place of brokenness so that we call on Him in salvation. And then He does an incredible job of taking broken pieces and makes them masterpieces in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you reflect on this today? Would you reflect on the gospel? Would you turn to Jesus in salvation? Second application point, would you remember, for those who are Christians in the room, would you remember your baptism in this moment? Would you think back to the moment you were baptized and remember the celebration of what that represented? That Jesus saved you. That you put your faith and trust in Christ and He poured out His love mercy and grace and forgiveness into your life, that He brought you from death to life. Would you remember that? Let us never live a day not remembering what Christ has done for us. And then third, would you rejoice? Baptism is a time of rejoicing. It's a time of remembering of what Christ has done, that Christ is on a loving and saving mission, out to save those, out to pour out His grace mercy, Would we rejoice with those that are being baptized? Would we rejoice in the gospel? Rejoice in what we are seeing today. Let us remember, as we look upon baptism, we celebrate and rejoice in baptism. But baptism does not save. But it's a symbol and a picture of Christ's death and us being united with Him in His death and in His resurrection which brings life and the life that has been given unto us. Salvation comes through grace. Today, would you give your life to Jesus? Would you surrender? Would you repent of your sin and turn to Him? And for those that are in here that have heard this message and you've been convicted by this message, one, would you turn to salvation? But if those who are believers have heard this message and were convicted, would you follow in obedience towards baptism? Would you no longer delay in that? Would you take those steps of faith? And then all of us, would we rejoice in God's goodness, His grace, and His mercy through our time today? It's been said like this, dealing with the two ordinances, how we think about them. We call them ordinances. They're special moments within the church. That if a house is the family of God, the house of brothers and sisters in Christ, the family, the Lord's Supper is the family meal that we eat together on an ongoing basis. But baptism is the front door. Baptism is the one-time representation of you coming into the family. Once you're in the house, you're in the house. You're there with the family. But the Lord's Supper is an ongoing meal. And so if you want to think, why do we only do baptism once but Lord's Supper all the time? Well, that's a picture and illustration and think about it. Once you're in the house, there's no need to come back through the door. You're there. But we eat and we celebrate and we fellowship. And that's what a picture of the Lord's Supper. So with that being said, I want to invite Pastor Andy to make his way up. And he's going to lead us through the Lord's Supper. And he's going to spend some time even explaining why we see how baptism is a picture.